on a real high level, no matter what industry the client is in, we're telling them to review their documentation, uh, do it quickly, understand what your rights are, and then take a practical approach to it. So if you have a loan and you think that you might, maybe not now, but maybe 60 days, depending on how the situation plays out, uh, you know, you might have a cash flow issue. You might start defaulting on things. Well, understand what those issues are. Read through the covenants in your loan. Call an attorney if you need to, to understand them. And then take a practical approach. Reach out to your lender and say, look, I'm just trying to be proactive. We think this might be an issue coming up. What can we do together to work through this? Welcome to the Accelerated Investor Podcast with Josh Cantwell. Josh Cantwell. If you love entrepreneurship and investing in real estate, then you are in the right place. Josh is the CEO of Freeland Ventures Real Estate Private Equity and has personally invested in well over 500 properties all across the country. He's also made hundreds of private lender loans and owns over 1,000 units of apartments. Josh is an expert at raising private money for deals, and he prides himself on never having had a boss in his entire adult life. Josh and his team also mentor investors and entrepreneurs from all over the world. He doesn't dream about doing deals. He actually does them, and so do his listeners and students. Now sit back, listen, listen learn, learn, and accelerate your business, your life, and your investing with the Accelerated Investor Podcast. So everybody, welcome back to Accelerated Investor. I'm uh, I'm really excited that you've been able to join me today, wherever, wherever you're at in the world, whether you're at home, social distancing, whether you're out for a walk, uh, I would say on your way to the gym or in the gym, because a lot of people do listen to our podcast in the gym, but that's not happening right now. Uh, so maybe you're in your home office, maybe you're working out at home, uh, maybe you're listening in your car, wherever you find Accelerated Investor. Just want to say thanks and tell you how much I appreciate you, how much gratitude I have for you engaging with us in our accelerated investor community. As you know, I love to uh, do solo casts and guest interviews that I think are going to benefit you and your investing, your entrepreneurship as a business owner, being a better leader. And that's exactly what we have today. Um, I've brought on three guests. Their names are David Linder, Richard Fry, and Nate Sin. And they are uh, attorneys that work for a, a local firm called Buckingham. Buckingham has over 60 attorneys. Um, and Nate Sin, I work with on a pretty regular basis in our private equity fund when it comes to notes, mortgages, foreclosures, and workouts for our borrowers, people who are borrowing money from our private equity fund and using that to buy residential and commercial real estate. Uh, we provide, again, primarily acquisition and bridge loans. Um, and Nate's been instrumental in working with us for years now in forming up all those notes and mortgages. And then if there is uh, a borrower going sideways, we're helping us work through that loss mitigation and workout process. Um, they are working right now uh, kind of in the mix of this COVID-19 uh, pandemic and working with a tremendous amount of clients, both in real estate, business owners, people who own property, uh, owners that are doing leasing, multifamily, commercial, and they're also working uh, as tax attorneys to help people understand how are these forbearance agreements, how are PPP loans, how is all this going to work out for clients. So uh, in, in order, I want to say hello. So Richard Fry, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Uh, excited to join your podcast. Fantastic. David Linder, thanks for joining us today. 
Thank you. It's great to be here. And of course, Nate Sin. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing good, Josh. Thanks for inviting us. We're happy to help uh, however we can. You bet. And I want to tell my audience right away uh, that on their website, uh, so you can look up Buckingham in Cleveland, Ohio, or you could visit their website at bdblaw.com. And if you go to their website and go, there's a big banner on their website that says COVID-19. If you click on that, it's bdblaw.com forward slash COVID-19. The guys have written a tremendous amount of content and articles for business owners and for their clients on how to help navigate this uh, pandemic. Um, So Nate, let me start with you real quick. And why don't you just talk for a second about what are you currently, what are some of the conversations? Again, you don't have to get into the detail, but high level, what are some of the conversations that you're having with clients, things that you're kind of preparing them for, kind of some of the questions that they might be asking? uh, Because obviously this is something that not, nobody's really been through before. Uh, It's a sort of unprecedented time. So how are you helping to maybe calm your clients down, educate your clients and some of the discussions that you're having? Again, I know you can't talk about specifics, but just high level, what are some of the things you guys are working through? So it, it, it's interesting because, you know, this is obviously, like you said, exactly. It's not anything we've ever seen before. So this is wildly different than the 2007, 2008 crash. Um, you know, I, I remember as, uh, on a personal note that I asked for a raise from my boss at the time, the same day the Lehman Brothers filed bankruptcy. So. <laughs> Great time to ask. <laughs> yeah. Being, being, a, being a, um, a banking uh, litigator, uh, and helping bank clients, you know, it was probably not the best time. So this is different. So it has a lot of the same similarities as that. You know, we anticipate that there's going to be struggles in multiple industries. So initially, kind of the initial conversations we were having, a lot of it was geared towards employees. You know, um, the shut-in orders, the stay-home orders, how that affected businesses. You know, um, businesses were closing, employees were being laid off or furloughed. And so a lot of the initial conversations had to do with employee benefits. And then you start to see the states kind of open that up uh, and then the federal government program. And then beyond that, then it was like, okay, well, I still have all these obligations. You know, I'm a commercial property owner. I've got to pay my bank. My tenants are telling me they're not going to pay my rent because they're not open. They have no Mm -hmm. revenue right now. And so uh, on a real high level, no matter what industry the client is in, we're telling them to review their documentation, uh, do it quickly, understand what your rights are, and then take a practical approach to it. So if you have a loan and you think that you might, maybe not now, but maybe 60 days, depending on how the situation plays out, uh, you know, you might have a cash flow issue. You might start defaulting on things. Well, understand what those issues are, read through the covenants in your loan, Call an attorney if you need to, to understand them, and then take a practical approach. Reach out to your lender and say, look, I'm just trying to be proactive. We think this might be an issue coming up. What can we do together to work through this? My newest and most powerful real estate investing book, The Flip System, is now available. And for a limited time, you can grab your free copy at getflipsystem.com forward slash podcast. Using the same proven principles, secrets, and investing strategies I'm sharing in this book, I've been able to personally close over 750 highly profitable real estate deals over the last 15 years, make over 400 private lender loans, 
raise over $30 million of private money and acquire over 2,000 units of apartments. Get my newest book now for free for a limited time at getflipsystem.com slash podcast. That's getflipsystem.com slash podcast. And Nate, what are your, what are your, your clients that are doing that, that are reaching out to tenants, that are reaching out to their bank on the other side? So obviously the property owner is kind of in the middle or the, you know, and the lender could be on the one side and the, and, and the tenant on the other. Are you seeing clients having success in kind of cutting deals, if you will, with their tenants and then secondarily cutting deals with the bank to try to work it out for everybody? Because it's got it's kind of like nobody's winning here. So how do we just cut the losses as much as possible so everyone can stay afloat? So I'm seeing a broad spectrum and and that's uh, a lot of that's based on the, the work that I traditionally do. So I work in the distressed market anyways. And mm-hmm. so we're seeing this new funding, you know, like the PPP loans. Well, the people that are requesting PPP loans are, in my world, already in default with their lenders. And so uh, you have an ongoing workout situation, and then you have new funding requests at the same time that are being, you know, supported by the federal government. So how do you work through that issue? And then from the property standpoint, a lot of the properties that I deal with are in receivership or some other court controlled process. And so mm-hmm. um, we are having success, but everything's different. So you have to take everything one at a time. Every fact pattern is different. You have to look at every situation differently. So for um, an example, we have a receivership that's a large office building here in downtown Cleveland, uh, several large commercial tenants. A lot of those tenants are asking for concessions on their leases. Uh, my client and who I represent is the court appointed receiver in the case. So the rece- there is a lender involved, but we're not necessarily making debt service payments, but we have mm-hmm. to run a lot of things through the lender. So you, we're, we're in essence, the middleman that's brokering uh, these concessions that are happening. And at the same time, you still have the property owner who is um, adversarial in this situation, who doesn't necessarily agree with everything that we do. So mm-hmm. you, you really, there's not really some like, um, it's not happening the same for everybody. Every situation is mm-hmm. different. The best thing I can tell you is to be proactive and be practical, but expect that they might not go along with it. So you have to be creative to work out what's your next option. Right. Got it. So David, let me, let, let me ask you um, to just expand on what Nate said, but also to talk a little bit about... Um, you know, funding that's out there for new deals. I know you're, you know, as a transaction attorney, do a lot with buying, selling, leasing. A lot of clients, obviously, in the last 60 days might have had property that was under contract that they were going to sell or that was under contract that they were going to purchase. I imagine there's numerous deals that have fallen out uh, or people have tried to retrade the prices of properties that they're buying. So uh, just as you expand on what Nate um, already said, Tell us a little bit about what you're actually seeing in the marketplace. Um, I imagine there's, again, a lot of unprecedented things that you're seeing or deals being retraded, deals being canceled at the last minute. And also, what do you forecast maybe in the next 18 months as this thing shakes out? Do you think that there's going to be a lot of properties out there for sale? There's going to be you know, kind of maybe the more experienced, more liquid buyers. They're going to be scooping up properties at a discount. What are your thoughts on those? Yeah. Uh, well, let me uh, try to start at the beginning there. Um, there sure. Um, That's a lot. 
couple items I'd add uh, just to what Nate was saying. I, I think, you know, as a property owner, as a landlord, you're going to be getting these requests from your tenants. Um, and it, but it helps to, like Nate said, you know, check your documentation, know what your rights are, uh, either as a landlord or as a tenant. And, uh, you know, what we've seen is a lot of landlords now are not necessarily taking everything at face value. Um, there have been a lot of tenants requesting relief and, you know, sometimes even major public companies who may have access to funding or, or credit lines or other things. And landlords are starting to say, wait, you know, why, why should I also be your bank if you do have a source of funding here? Right. So, you know, some, some landlords are requesting financials and other documentation from tenants before they're granting these concessions. But, you know, in cases where that's appropriate as a landlord, you, you want to look to probably deferring the rent, um, maybe doing a partial deferral because as a, as a landlord, you're not only paying your uh, mortgage payment, but you may also have maintenance and repair obligations for the property or you're, you're paying, you know, utilities or things like this. Um, you may want tenants to be paying their share of that, even if they're deferring, you know, the base portion of the rent uh, to some extent. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's one thing that I look out for there. Uh, in terms of, you know, buying and selling properties, yeah, I think it, it's, you know, we're definitely seeing the impact. Um, if you're a cash buyer, you can, you can certainly move forward, but people are having pause because they're, they're buying at a certain valuation often based on the rent that's generated mm -hmm. from, from the property. And if that's taking a hit, if the future of those tenants is uncertain, they may be out of business in three months, do you really want to pay that same value for the property now uh, and being completely unsure of whether, you know, if this one tenant leaves, if you can find a replacement, uh, right. certainly one who's going to be paying the same rent. And yeah, we, we have seen uh, a number of those instances. Yeah, we, you know, so far for us, you know, by the time this gets released, it's going to be probably late May, but so far for April and for May, we've seen the same collection rate as we saw in February and March, which is great. But right now, also a lot of people are, you know, we're dealing mostly on the multifamily side with our large multifamily investments. Um, and those tenants, again, we're, we have primarily properties in A and B markets, A and B class buildings. So, you know, we haven't seen much of a fallout, but right now we have the, we can kind of being propped up by, uh, state unemployment, federal unemployment, stimulus money coming in, and that's all kind of hitting right now in April and May. And so we expect that to go well. I think a really key time is going to be July. June, we might to see start to see some weakness in collections on the multifamily side. Um, and then July is really when we're going to find out, like, have we reopened this country at all? Um, and so we have a large, uh, 450 unit apartment building that we're closing and we're, we're going ahead with that, but we've retraded the price on one of the buildings. We got a reduction of 565,000 in the process of retrading the other one. And then the third one is pieces, new construction on Hilton head Island. So that's going forward. But part of the questions we're getting from equity investors is, well, is this changing your valuation at all? And the answer in the short term is it could, but we're not we're not investing in these buildings for the next six months to a year, right? And we're also investing in multifamily, not retail, not office. And people are always going to need a place to live. And so that's kind of the difference. I've heard horror stories already, and I don't know how much of this is true or not, but that in the retail seg sector, that 
a number of buildings are only collecting 20 to 25% of their projected rents because those tenants are just, we can't afford it. We're, we're out of business. We don't have the money. A lot of mom and pop type of tenants or small uh, franchises that can't pay for that. Um, so I think, it, again, it, David, it comes down to like, who's your tenant base? What kind of properties do you own from the beginning? Right? What, what's recession proof yeah. and what's not? So I don't know if you want to comment on that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think you're right. Like you said, yeah, housing people are going to need places to live. We may, you know, we don't know where things are headed as far as further stimulus payments, but at some point you think, um, again, there, there may be additional payments that are going to allow people to pay rent uh, because you do have, you know, the unemployment rates are up. Um, if people can't afford rent, then that just this triggers that, uh, you know, spiral effect here for uh, owners mm-hmm. and lenders and so on. So I think uh, you may see additional payments there. I mean, the real question is, how long does this last? And uh, that's hard to say. I mean, for retailers right. or restaurants, when are people going to be comfortable going back? When are people going to get out and start, you know, shopping? Um, you know, right. better for the online retailers. I know that's, uh, you know, that, again, is a trend that that is continuing, but for a lot of your strip centers or, um, you know, actual, you know, physical locations, restaurants, gyms, movie theaters. I mean, those are the big draws to, to a lot right. of locations. And if people aren't comfortable, you know, coming together in big groups for a while, that, that could really extend this for quite a while, even after any governmental type restrictions are lifted. Are you ready to automate and explode your real estate investing? We're searching for extremely motivated individuals who are sick and tired of wasting time and want to finally see real results from their real estate investing business. We're searching for investors looking to get to the next level and become a bigger, better version of themselves while being a more successful real estate investing entrepreneur. Apply for mentoring and coaching at joshcantwellcoaching.com forward slash podcast. That's joshcantwellcoaching.com forward slash podcast. David, I wanted to ask you one more question. um, And then I have a couple questions for Richard too, but help me understand if you're in the middle of buying or selling a building and something like this pandemic happens, how much rights does a buyer or a seller have to back out of a deal because nobody writes in COVID-19 as a, as a, as an addendum to their contract or, you know, as a contingency. Actually, I'm seeing that now on new contracts. Yeah. New contracts. Right. But on stuff that was written, you know, 90 days ago on a commercial building or a multifamily or a strip mm-hmm. center, or maybe even you know, 120 days ago. And all of a sudden it's the middle of, uh, of this it's, you know, mid March it's, it's mid April. And all of a sudden people want to retrade the price. H- how, how bound are they or how much flexibility do they have to get out of a transaction in the middle of this thing? I mean, it could be just flat out fear. Like this was a great deal 90 days ago, but right now I'm scared as heck and I don't want to close even though all the other contingencies are done, right? Even if your financing could still go through and your bank could still fund that deal, you're just scared out of your mind to buy it now. How much leeway do you have? Because that's not really built into a normal contract from, you know, four to six months ago that could be closing now in the middle of this. Right. You know, and what I've seen, um, 
you know, just from my experience, it's always, of course, going to depend on your contract and, and there will be those issues, whether you're going to lose an earnest money deposit, uh, if you walk away, whether you may have some extension rights, sometimes you can pay an additional fee to extend your due diligence period. Sometimes that's built in. Um, you may have a financing contingency if your lender's unable or un unwilling to move forward for a while. But, you know, assuming you don't have any of those options, um, what, what we're seeing sometimes is just a negotiated um, either, hey, let's just kind of do a standstill for a little while and, and see how things shake out. Um, or, okay, we'll, we'll terminate for now and maybe we can reach an agreement on, you know, maybe we'll give you back part of your earnest money and we'll just agree that, okay, we're going to go our separate ways, but we're, we're still interested in doing a deal here when things settle down and shake out more. So people are maybe avoiding litigation just because they want to stay on good terms because, again, it's not like a typical situation where you're going to say, okay, well, I lose... Uh, one buyer, I'll just go move on to the next one because any other buyer is probably going to have the same concerns right now. Um, right. Or to have someone just step in and replace them. So sellers, I think, uh, are, are being a little more understanding um, and trying to negotiate something, even if maybe they could, you know, push harder under their, their actual contractual rights. Right. Yeah. And if you're a seller and you have a buyer under contract, there's no guarantee that another buyer will even come ever under, un, under this uh, scenario, under this pandemic. So it probably makes a lot more sense to try to work with that buyer, even if you retrade the price um, and continue to keep them under contract, even if cl closing gets delayed, if that seller is interested in still selling and it's still a reasonable price, might have to drop the price a little bit because there's no guarantee that another buyer will show up or that next buyer could even get financing. You know, the whole financing world has really been turned upside down in the last 60 days or so. So yeah, we're seeing that now. We have a 265 unit deal uh, in Northeast Ohio, a multifamily property that we're under contract and uh, us and our partners are going back and looking for you know, a pretty substantial reduction in price. So we're, we're working our way through that one now. Um, Richard, let me jump over to you for a minute and talk a little bit about uh, you know, you're a business tax attorney, so obviously work with a lot of real estate investors, but work with a lot of people uh, on the tax side of things. Of course, you've probably gotten a lot of questions about PPP and what's going to happen with getting those PPP dollars, especially with forgiveness. If that forgiveness qualifies under debt forgiveness income, if people are going to end up having to pay tax on the debt forgiveness piece. Um, so what are some of the, the, the things about PPP, some of the latest updates and some of the challenges or questions that you're talking through with your clients? Again, not specific to any one client, but high level, what are some of the things that you guys are talking about now? Sure. Yeah. So a lot of the PPP funding has already been received or approved at this point. Um, one thing I think it was a, a great point that you pointed out, you know, April and May, you may not see many as many people struggling for rent, but depending upon how long this goes on, um, that's when the struggle really, you know, towards the end of the summer will still be affected. One of the great things under the PPP program is rent is one of the items that would be forgiven. So um, I've had commercial landlords work with their tenants to make sure that it's paid within that eight week period after the funding, but who knows what's going to happen after that eight week period. Mm -hmm. Now, to your point about uh, whether it's a cancellation of debt income, so in the statute it provided that the, the forgiveness of the PPP loans are not going to be income. So you, the uh, businesses would not be taxed on that. 
Now, it's kind of controversial, but the IRS came out and said, well, also for those uh, expenses for which are forgiven under the loan, um, businesses are not going to be able to also deduct those expenses. So they can't kind of get a, a double benefit of having the loan forgiven and getting a business deduction. Now, that has been, there's been some um, legislators, some congressmen who are attacking that position and uh, there is a bill that's going to be introduced that would provide that those expenses are also deductible. So um, it's an interesting uh, uh, situation right now on that. And, you know, by the time this airs, we might have uh, a different answer. But right now they are not deductible, but you also don't have income for the for the forgiveness portion. Sure. Well, wouldn't it shake out? Like, I don't, I don't, I don't have the ability to do the math in my head real quick. Well, maybe I can. Like, let's just say somebody got a... $500,000 PPP loan and $350,000 of that is used for forgivable expenses. Let's say it's payroll, uh, mortgage interest, rent, things like that, utilities. If a business has, let's say, $5 million of, of annual income and they've got a half a million dollar loan and let's just say $4 million of expenses. So net, you know, they're, they're, they're running a 20% margin. They got a million dollars of net operating income when the whole thing's said and done. Well, if they've got $400,000 of expenses, they typically would have written off. That would be part of the $4 million in expense, and they'd write that off. But now they get $500,000 of PPP dollars. That comes in. They can no longer write off that $400,000 because it was forgiven, right? That's what you're saying under the current law. They can't write that off. So that creates $400,000 with no offsetting expense. So that's now going to flow down. If it's an LLC, it's going to flow down to the owner. And that's going to be another $400,000 of income payable at their tax rate. Versus if they took the $400,000, wrote off the expenses, took the $400,000 in, and the $400,000 was now written off and, uh, as for, it was, and forgiven, but they also had to pay debt forgiveness income tax on the 400,000 that they wrote off, is the net effect the same? Is, yeah, so isn't it about it the is, same? It, it's gonna be exactly the same. Right. Um, because you don't have the income, but you don't have the deduction. So essentially it's a, it's a net zero situation. You're not gonna have any change in position. I think what the congressmen who are, are have talked are saying, well, they really should have got an additional benefit from the forgiveness. And that additional benefit would be the uh, deductibility of expenses. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So we'll see what happens there. That's an interesting because now it's like, okay, you have, they, they solved some of the liquidity problem by, by giving that business and approving that business for $500,000 of PPP money. Mm-hmm. But they did, there was no real benefit financially, tax benefit, other than you have the liquidity to pay your employees. And Correct. then yeah, you could make the no argument. Yeah. Then you then you can make the argument of, well, I don't want the money. I just rather let the employees go, so I don't have the expense because I don't have a business anyway. Because some business owners that I know are thinking, well, now I have the PPP money. Now I have to spend it on expenses. I don't even, like say I have a gym. I have employees that I have to pay, but the employees mm-hmm. can't even come to work. So what's the benefit of paying the employees when I can't write it off? Yeah, I mean, it's a decision that the businesses have to go through as far as um, on, you know, each of their particular circumstances. In that case, though, personally, I have not seen a situation where it was a bad 
deal to take the PPP money because sure. like I said, it's always going to be a net zero. Plus in that situation, let's say your gym's operating as an S corporation, presumably you're paying, you know, the owner as the president or whoever the offices are officers are. So you get that amount forgiven, but that still go, gets to go into your pocket as wages. Mm-hmm. Additionally, you get to continue to pay your rent that's going to be forgiven uh, under the PPP loan. So there are some advantages, even though there's not a tax advantage. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it would be, I haven't seen a situation where it's a bad deal to take the PPP loan. You've been listening to Josh Cantwell and the Accelerated Investor Podcast. Leave a comment on our iTunes channel and let us know what you want to learn next or who you'd like Josh to interview. While you're there, give us a five-star rating and make sure to subscribe so you can be the first to hear new episodes. Follow Josh Cantwell and his companies, Strategic Real Estate Coach and Freeland Ventures on all social media platforms now and stay up to date on new training and investment opportunities to start your journey toward the lifestyle you've always dreamed of. Apply for coaching at joshcantwellcoaching.com.